working together for the first time ever. The two biggest rivals in the world, the family and the church. After spending years and years tearing people apart, will they be able to finally work together? Together, Please direct your attention to the stage for the start of round two. We are so glad that you are here for Mother's Day. What a special treat just to be able to spend some time with your family. Thank you for traveling and being with us today. We're going to spend just a few moments talking about this idea of church versus family. One of the things that we talked about last week is how that there's a lot of times a collision. And how do we actually move from collision where we're arguing back and forth saying, no, the family's more important. No, the church is more important. How do we go back and forth? And how do we actually begin to wed the two where they begin to collaborate instead of have collisions? How do we bring it together? How do we talk about this in which the church and the family are both doing what God has designed them to do? Is the church important? That's a yes. Is the church important? Is the family important? Okay, so both are important. So what we're wanting to do now is talk through today specifically, since this is Mother's Day, we're gonna spend the entire day talking about family. And then next week, we're going to spend the entire day talking about how the church is supposed to be working with the family as well. And we're going to spend more time talking about that. So I can't do it all in one service. And so next week, we're going to be finishing off the series and talking about the church. Now, Jamie, can you start us off? All right. Well, you know, um, sometimes I think, have y'all, I brought this today. First of all, I want to say it kind of traumatized my family this morning or my children because they saw this and I'd taken the, I removed the picture of them and put this family in there and mom who is that who who are they mom mom why are you taking us out i mean they were literally we talked about it almost the entire way here i told them we're replacing yes we said no more no more that we see these pictures when we go out to buy frames we see these pictures these families in uh in in the frames and you know i don't know if you've ever just taken a moment and just thought what it must be like to see, you know, first of all, I'm looking at this girl. She looks like a girl in our youth group. So I'm pretty sure she didn't have these two kids. And then this guy right here, it cracks me up because he's got like the perfectly whitened, perfect smile. And then the boy that's jumping on him, if this were he, he'd be like, get off my head, Sander. Don't no, touch the hair. He would not be smiling. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. That's funny. You were very vulnerable at that moment. Good job. That's right. Um, yeah, no. So this, you know, we see these pictures, we see these stock photo families, and we think that, you know what, God, my life is just too messy for you to engage in it. I have got so much junk, I don't even know where to begin. So I'm pretty sure that you can't use me or my family. I, th- I think we've all had those moments. And when I have those moments, I always like to go to the Bible. And you know what, let me just start off with Adam and Eve. You know, they're God-breathed, they're made from us, you know, just... Eve's made from Adam and the whole wonderful thing. And you would think if anybody could get it right, it would be Adam and Eve, right? Honestly. Sure. Well, they don't. And they have two boys, and one of their boys kills the other boy. So obviously, you know, they've got some issues there because there's probably not a lot of us who've had that to deal with that particular issue. And we go on to Noah, okay? Godly man, right? But God basically has to flood the earth to get rid of everybody but his family. So let's look to him because he definitely must have it all together. Well, yes, he, he did for some time and he was following God and he built the ark and it flooded and 
The floodwaters went down and he did build the altar. First thing, he went to God and praised him for saving him and his family. But then he planted a vineyard and then he grew some things and he became a drunk. And the rest of that is a little bit PG-13 slash R. So I'll let you all refer to your Bibles if you want to see what else happened with Noah in his life. But obviously, obviously they had some issues. Um, Abraham and Sarah, you know, Abraham, <laughs> he was the father of nations. So father, okay, we look to him. But, you know, he uh, got intimidated. He was a little bit insecure when it came to some of the kings of the lands that he was going into. So he offered his wife. Eve. To be a wife for the kings. And, uh, that would not be appropriate. No, that's not good. That's Guys, not don't good. do that. We don't recommend that. No. So that's obviously father of the nation still has some messy issues. Um, Rebecca, we think, oh, you know, Isaac waited for Rebecca. He was fooled with Leah and then he got Rebecca. And oh my goodness. So she must be the mother. Well, you know what? She and her son Jacob go in cahoots and she devises a plan on how to deceive to deceive Isaac. So that's probably not too cool to do. And then um, we look at David, of course, and we see a man's after God's own heart. Let's look at him. And then, of course, as we know, he has had an affair. So when you are intimidated and when you feel like, you know what, God, you can't do anything with the junk that I am in, have experienced, have been allowed to um, be around, I want you to remember that God that's his specialty. Because when we look at these people, we see the glory of God through them. Those are the stories we remember. And it's easy to kind of forget all that junk that they went through, but they're just like you and I. And that's why he gave us the Bible so that we can relate to the people that are in it. It's sometimes easy to, when you walk into church or you, you see people sitting across the aisle or maybe, and you look at them and they're all dressed up. And you're going, oh, they're all dressed up and they're smiling and you see them come through the door and everybody's just being so polite and kind. But if you would have seen them just 10 minutes ago in the car (laughs) or you saw them getting ready that morning, it's a whole different story. And so one of the things we want to make sure that you're catching is that there's a little dysfunction in in all of us. Yes, absolutely. And that's why we're needing to talk about it. This is not real right here. Absolutely. So if that's not the real reality, Deuteronomy 6 is where we went last week. And I'm going to spend a lot of time today talking about your responsibility as a parent, as a grandparent, as a family. What is your job to do? And it's very clear. Moses lays it out for us with great detail. He even gives very practical applications for how you and I are supposed to be bringing... God into the picture, bringing God into the conversation. Now, we said something last week that I want to maybe go back to and just repeat. One of the problems that we're having is this, that the average 16-year-old and down child in the home, here's what they will spend. They will spend six to seven hours, you ready for this? Six to seven hours a day on the internet, on computer, in media of some sort, listening to music, listening to their iPod. Watching TV, watching whether it's MTV or you just start naming all the different shows, they will spend six to seven hours a day. And the problem is this, is that on average in America, the United States of America, they spend kids, 16 and down, same group, will spend only 37 seconds in conversation with dad each day. There's a problem. 
And so what we're wanting to do is we're wanting to make sure, first of all, you understand that it's your job to engage. It's your job to, to begin to take the priority in the home for spiritual life. Now, men, you might have came today thinking that, oh, sweet, it's Mother's Day. I don't even have to listen. <laughs> I know, I've been there. Okay, too vulnerable. You didn't know that. You didn't know that information. Okay. It's like reveal all. I'm revealing everything. What I want you to do is, guys, this is for everybody. This is for everyone in the family. Deuteronomy 6. Today, it's very practical on how you can begin to live out what God's called you to do. Deuteronomy 6. You have your Bibles. Please stand for the reading of God's word. Verse 4 is where we're starting. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. Shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, this is your time. We invite you to work. We invite your spirit to move amongst us freely. I pray that you would take away distractions. And God, I pray that you would move in an incredible way. God, I pray that you would show us where we can improve. God, I pray that you would show us what we need to get right with you. And Father, when we walk out of this place, I pray that we'll have the courage to apply everything that we've heard to our lives. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. You know, if I could give... Um, Scoot up. Yep. Right. If we could give an overall statement and someone just said, hey, I need one sentence to help me. That's all I have time for. I think it would boil down to um, parent your child with the end in mind. Parent your child with the end in mind because that just encompasses so much. And um, so many times we love that immediate gratification. When... when Mine were little, bitty, and all at home. Um, I used to plead to mow the lawn because it was just, I mean, we know how that is. Like, all of a sudden, you're... That was a good day. <laughs> yeah, he enjoyed that. But when you just feel like there is nothing that gets done, I clean and it's dirty, I change their diaper and it's time to change it again, or, or fill in the blank or whatever it is, we understand that as moms, right? We're just overwhelmed. So I used to look for things that would just stay that way for at least a day. And I knew if I mowed the lawn that it would look nice for at least a day until it started to grow again. So we need to parent with the end in mind. That means that most of the time there will not be immediate gratification. And that, I will tell you right now, will cause friction for you because our culture and our society is not set up for things that do not um, allow immediate gratification in our lives. So that's something that we need to be aware of. We're looking for things to do that um, are for down the road. For instead of what are you going to be when you grow up, who are you going to be when you grow up? You need to change that wording in your question. Instead of what do I want my child to be? Who do I want them to be? What values do I want them to have? And a way that you can start on that is, every, you know, everybody has a rhythm. We talked about that a little bit last week. Every family has a rhythm from the moment we get home from the hospital with the little one. Because we understand that we need to sleep, and they won't stop crying, and we're exhausted, and they need to be fed, and then they need to be fed again, and it goes on and on. So we create rhythms in our family. And what we need to do, and take time to do, is take an honest evaluation 
of the rhythm in our family? What do we do that communicates value to our children, to our grandchildren? And you know what? Some things that we may not think is communicating value may very well be doing that, same, that very thing. I think of you know, something as simple as bedtime. If, if it is imperative to you that your child gets in bed by 7 o'clock or 8 o'clock, and that is just a rule that isn't broken, you are obviously communicating that rest is very vital for a healthy lifestyle, for a good day at school, or fill in the blank. Um, something like, don't talk to me until I have my cup of coffee in the morning. That also can be part of it. It's very valuable. <laughs> Caffeine equals happy mother. That is a value that we, we just need to be able <laughs> And the men say amen. I find that interesting. So, um, you know, if, if they have to make their bed before they leave, if they, you know how many birthday party, if you've got young ones, we get birthday party uh, for their class and everybody just comes and comes and comes. If you have to make every birthday car- party and have the best gifts, you are constantly communicating value in the way that you are, you are in your rhythm every single day. And so we just need to be aware of that. You know, and there was a survey that was done um, to parents and to children, and they asked the um, parents, they said, okay, parents, we want to know what you think your child wants from you. What, if there was something more they could, that you could give, what would it be? And what do you think that was? T- time. Overwhelming. You're exactly right. Parents, overwhelming. They want more time from me. And you know, the same survey was asked. This was an older elementary level um, class that they asked. They said, okay, children, what do you want from your parents? And you know what the answer was? Because I completely thought the answer would be time. They said, I would like my mom or dad to be less stressed. Wow. And I read that survey and it... It really struck a chord. That's the rhythm. Your children feel the rhythm of your life. They feel the rhythm of how you're interacting with them, even how you come home from, from your work, whether you're exhausted and so worn out that you can't actually spend time with them because you need me time. That's something we chose not to use because it was, we were not going to use that word, me time, because it commutes, communicates the value of selfishness. And we wanted it in our family to understand it's actually family and others before yourself. So if daddy needs his me time, do you know when it happens? I wake up at five o'clock. I wake up at four o'clock. I'll stay up later after the kids go to bed. So the kids never hear daddy saying, I need me time because I do not want them coming back as teenagers or whatever saying, dad, just leave me alone. I don't need time with you. And that it's that negate. selfishness. We were trying to stop that ahead of time, right? Right. And it doesn't negate meetings and things that are required from work. He had a couple of meetings this week. They understand sure. that. I'm not, I'm not downgrading that. But definitely when it's the, the context that we're saying it in, our children, they are the most discerning. I think we are more discerning as children. You know, we, we get older and we get a little more callous. But they understand what we're saying and what values we're communicating to them. So if you can, first of all, understand your rhythm, it allows you to know, okay, here's what what I can take out. Here's what I can put in. Because what we're about to read, if you go back to the scriptures with me, it says, here's the Shema. The Lord your God is, he's one, he's important. And not only is he just important, but you should love him with all your heart, your soul, and mind. And then the next verse, here's what it says. Verse six, these words, these commands today, they should be on your heart. You shall teach them, verse seven, diligently to your children. What does the word diligently mean? It's gonna be hard work, it's going to be on purpose. It's going to be intentional. It's going to be consistent. It's not going to just happen. Just because you took your kids to church doesn't mean that they got it. 
Just because you went to church three times a week doesn't mean that they picked up on it. So Moses is now talking. He says, okay, here's the switch. Parents, you're going to have to work hard at this. This is going to be something you're going to have to make sure that you're intentional about. And you're going to have to do something above and beyond. It's not going to just happen. You're going to have to plan to teach diligently to love God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind. And so then Moses now switches and he says, okay, just in case you're not catching it, just in case you don't understand what you're supposed to do, he now applies it. Look what he says. He says, so teach them diligently. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house. When do you sit in your house? Well, I got a big recliner. But when does all the family sit? It should happen at mealtime. The problem, though, is in America, how often do we actually sit and have a meal with our families? Let me read you what one psychologist, Christian psychologist, stated that the greatest loss of communication in the modern family is the near extinction of the family meal. A well known psychologist continues on and says, We cannot estimate the far reaching negative repercussions the family, the church, and ultimately the nation will reap for trading in a half hour of family unity around the dinner table for other activities. Biblically, the table was what? It was a sign of acceptance. And bringing somebody in, it was a time of conversation. That's why when Jesus is eating with sinners, when he's eating with tax collectors, the Pharisees were so frustrated because Jesus is showing acceptance to sinners. Let me ask you a question. How often do you eat family meals? Is it once a week? Is it twice a week? I would... I would argue and I would push and I would encourage you. If you're at one time a week, you need to increase it to two. And maybe even stretch it to four times a week, saying, okay, four times a week, we as a family are going to sit together and we're going to have a meal. And what do you do at the meal? At the meal time, this is where you begin to be the teacher. You get to set up, and this is your role. You teach and reteach, and you talk about the core values of who you are and who you want the kids to be. You get to talk about what has happened in your life. You get to listen to their stories. You get to ask them questions, and then you talk about, okay, let's be gracious. Or what about this? We had one of my daughter's um, major failure in her life this week. She was striving for something very important to her, and, and she didn't quite get it. And she was just crushed. And at the table, we got to sit and we got to talk about our failures. And we got to tell stories of how we failed and how God brought us through. And the other kids are getting to hear the same stories. What are we doing? We're showing how that you can trust God no matter what happens in your life. It's that teacher moment where you're setting the core values, where you're, you're allowing them to see who you are. Then we got to take in and we brought in a... Um, the computer, and I showed my daughter how many times Abraham Lincoln failed and how many times he never got voted in to anything that he ran for. And over and over again, he he was rejected. And then finally, he became the president of the United States. And then I have to bring up this one. And who else else did you bring in? It's it's Michael Jordan. (laughs) Because I'm a basketball fanatic and I still enjoy Michael Jordan and and watching him. So I, I, I showed her the commercial. Do you remember the Michael Jordan commercial where he says... Over and over again, I failed. I missed 300 shots, free throws in my life. I missed 26 or 27 game-winning shots. Do you remember that commercial? And he's, he's telling all the things that he's failed. And then he says, and that's why I succeed. 
And I got to show her the Bible. I got to show her other people. And we got to talk through. And that happens during mealtime when you actually become intentional about mealtime. Right, definitely. Because, you know, it's hard to, explaining it to her and, and again to myself, you know, God can't use people who everything just goes right for them. How is he going to, who's going to be able to relate to someone who has nothing but victories in, in their life and just able to walk through that? You know, also the next, it says, okay, so when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way, well, we don't have to walk so much anymore, praise God, praise God especially in Texas where it's super hot and we get to drive in our car. And so driving in your car is another key time that we can use with our, our children, our students, you know, and this, one of the best things about this time is that you don't have to make eye contact. And there is a lot of beauty in that for younger and older, what have you. Um, you can ask them, this is your companion time, you can ask them those hard questions about, hey, what's going on with your friends? All right, what about people that you're dating? You can ask them those questions and they don't feel so defensive because they're not having to look straight into your eyeballs, you know, and there's not that um, anxiety there. And they can answer them, they cannot answer them, but it's just that time to be able to invest um, with them and in the car. And, and it's important to utilize, again, just that diligence of sometimes I just want to mentally shut off. Honestly, I've been exhausted. We've gone through so many things. I've planned out whatever. And I just want to mentally shut off. But to be honest, as a parent, we are supposed to be diligent. That is a responsibility. When you have a captive audience in the car, I found out that my daughter got a note from a boy. <laughs> Uh, I wasn't going to tell this because I, I, I was so, I was, I was like, what'd you do? Punch him in the face? Yeah, that's good. I'm just kidding. I, I, I want advice. all boys, uh, I want all boys to stay away from my daughters now. That's, no, but yes. And so, yeah, she, honestly, she brought it up. It was, I think more so because again, it was just that, um, non-defensive time and and we got to walk through that and of course I asked her what she did she's like I just threw it in the trash (laughs) I was like okay well um obviously it took a lot of courage for that young man to write that note so maybe a better response could be um going and talking to him and telling them that you're flattered and honored but that's just not something that you're interested in now whether she did that or not I I don't know but uh anyway it's a good time to be that companion and have those conversations okay next it says not only while you're walking along the way but now it says that you are to teach them when you lie down when they go to sleep as they're calming down this is a great time for you to begin to listen for your child's heart to listen to what's going on in their day we ask the question so what did you like best about today what happened that you just really liked best about all day long and then they tell you okay what did you like what did you not like well this is what I Okay, and we talk about it, and then and then you turn it and you allow them to pray, and they pray out to God, and you're hearing their heart. You get to hear what they're saying, and you get to hear what they're saying to God, and it's beautiful. And then, parents, you pray over them, and you begin to pray, and as you begin to lay out what is going on in their heart, and you pray over what they're saying and what they just got through saying, what happens is the next night when they pray, you know what they do? Many times they pray what you prayed the previous night. It's beautiful. And it's you're listening to their heart and you're trying to engage. Where are they at and what is going on? You're bringing God into the conversation all day long. Now the last part is. And even something simple as instead of sending them to bed, 
tuck them into bed or tell you if they're teenagers, turn their lights off for them. Have that moment. It's just a very vulnerable moment for, for anyone, for adults, for children. And so to take advantage of that time. And then it says not only when you go to bed, but when you rise up. Now, this one's a challenge for me because I am not the best morning person. I talk about diligent. This is some er- an area that I have to work at. So when the kids were little, I thought, okay, what can a song be? Like if they're just totally grumpy and throwing pillows at you or whatever, sometimes they can be monsters in that area, or at least I can. Um, I need to do something funny to make them laugh. And so we sing Rise and Shine and Give God the Glory. Does anyone know that song? It's a very old school. Yeah. And the Lord told Noah there's going to be a floody, and they got to build the arky arky. Well, Xander, who's our youngest one, he's the hardest one to get up at this point. And he just gets, he'll have his eyes closed to act like he's completely out. But when he gets to the arky arky point, you'll see his little smiles just happen. And you know, it's just, it reminds them that rise and shine. It's, it's God's day. And I don't know what you all could do. That's just something that I do, but fill in the blanks for yourself. There is no mold that you're, that will work, but something that you could do that would remind your child, you know what? Today's God's day. And he, he, he was the God of yesterday and he is the God of today. And whatever trouble or, or, things that you will face today, he is with you and he is our warrior for us. The morning time is precious because you get to set the vision for the day. God made you, God created you. God has something that you need to do even today. And it can happen as a five-year-old in kindergarten. It can happen as a teenager. Each one needs to hear, God has got something for you to do. And today, why don't you live for it? Why don't you, and you recreate that vision and you set it again, once again, so that they understand, okay, as I'm going out, as mad as maybe I've been, now we turn around and you're creating a vision as they're getting out. Every time the kids get out of of the car, you say three things. Well, about five years ago, if you all got to experience FX Live, I just, I'm so proud of our interns and everybody did such a wonderful job. But I was introduced to this curriculum. We started using it about five years ago in our church. And um, and it hits on three things. It's trust God no matter what, do what's right even when it's hard, and treat other people like you want to be treated. So every day in the car line, when my kiddos hop out of the car, I say those three things, and they I make them fill in the blanks or whatever. I change it up. And, you know, and it is routine, and they're saying it out of habit. But then it also tells me that it's in their, in their heart. It's engraved in their heart. And they think I'm crazy, and the, bus, the line ladies think I'm crazy, and they probably know it too. They could recite it back to me. <laughs> but it's just before they set off on that day, when those issues come and they face them and, and bullies come around, I want that to just ring in their ears over and over again because that is a value that we have. Okay, so now he's giving you very practical when they get up, when they get down, all throughout the day. And then look what he says in verse 8. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. So he says you need to write it for their hand so that they always see their hand. Then you need to actually put it on, on their forehead where they're, they're reminded of where it's at in their forehead. In between their eyes, there's usually a little roll, a little scroll that goes on their hat that goes on uh, their, what, a turban? <laughs> yeah, it's not yeah. a turban, is it? Turban's like a wind turban. That doesn't make sense. No, is that right? Is it turban? Yes. Somebody help me out. Yes. Turban. Okay, we'll just go, go with, with that. The hat thing. All right. So they put it on that, and then you shall write them on the doorpost of the house. So as they're coming into the house, it's, it's written on the doors. Here's, here's what I want to encourage you. You need to find creative ways in which you're consistently communicating the Word of God. What is it? How does it play out? What does that look like? Whether it's watching, you have little kids, you, you play videos like Hermie, or maybe you're watching little VeggieTale videos, or you actually buy different Bible videos so that they're able to watch. And then you take it to the next extreme, 
You actually, when they watch current movies, such as Cars or Little Mermaid, Older movies do, whatever. Yeah, even more current movies than that. We know, not everybody has little ones, yes. Okay, (laughs) just whatever the movie is. It could even be Avatar. As you watch it, what I would encourage you to do is then you go back through and you interpret it through the scriptures. And you talk to them about how that, hey, in Avatar, did you see how that they're making everything a God? There's not everything's not a God. It's, there's one God, one true God. And you're not having to tie into everything. And you begin to walk them through the Little Mermaid because one of my daughters is in love with Little Mermaid. I get to talk to her about how she rebelled against her daddy a lot. <laughs> He's not lying. I, I do. Yeah. It comes up every time I watch it. She's just not acting good. Yeah. And so you, you begin to, to play this out. And as you play it out, um, one of the things that we've also tried to do is as the kids are playing, we try to have Christian music on or we put on different um, music Bible verses yeah, or things like that. Yeah, the books of the that. Bible, they all know it just because those, it's in music, so that helps them there, memorize and do those. Yeah, they sit there and they play it and they're, they're, they're singing it, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty amazing. Now, here's what I, please, we're trying to give you very practical ways in which we're doing this. I don't know how it's going to play out in your life. And we're not doing it perfectly. We're not. But what I want to make sure you understand is, is this is something you're going to have to work hard at. It's not going to just happen just because you came to church or just because your kids are in church. It's going to be something you're going to have to do. And the question begins, well, why should we do this? Why, why is it that important for us to be diligent and work hard? Look at what it says after you go verse 9. You write them on the doorpost, verse 10. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob... To give you the good cities that you did not build, houses full of good things that you did not fill, the wells that you did not dig, and the vineyards, the olive trees. He's saying, you're about to go into a a time of prosperity. You're about to be blessed, and you're about to have prosperity come into your life. And when you have prosperous things, here's what's going to happen. You're going to be tempted to think you did it all. You're going to be tempted to think that it's all about you and that you really don't need God. And so you don't pray to God as much. And you're not thinking that God is that important. You're going to be tempted because you're going to be blessed. And what has happened is in one generation, if you follow through, Joshua and his group, as they got in the promised land, one generation removed, they begin to forget about God. And they begin to see major shifts in their environment where they're, they're bringing idols and they're bringing different things in. They begin to worship other gods. One generation. We're two generations removed now from generations in which we as Americans love God. Yes, the financial crisis, what it has done in America has rattled each one of us. And it's caused us to move back and forth. And we're going, okay, maybe now we need God. And it's, it's caused a little friction in our life. And here's what I want to show you. Go down all the way down to verse 20. Here's why you want to do this. So when your sons ask you in time to come, what is the meaning of the testimonies? Why do you do this, Dad? Why do you show up at church? Well, that's just what we did as kids. No, it's so much bigger. God, Dad, why do you follow the rules that God has laid out? Why do you follow the Bible? Dad, why are you doing what you're doing? Then you shall say, you ready? This is huge. We were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt. And the Lord has brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. The Lord has shown signs and wonders, great and grievous against Egypt. Son, here's why. Here's why I go to church. Here's why I read my Bible. You see, what you don't realize is this, that although dad is not perfect right now, if you would have known me 10 years ago, son, if you would have known me when I was younger, 
I was jacked up. I was a slave to sin. Sin had gotten me. Sin had bound me. And I was a slave to Satan. And I was really, truly messed up. But then God. But then God showed up. But then God began to work in my life and God began to free me. And what you see now, son, what you see in front of you is a man who's been radically changed by the grace of God. Can I get a witness? Somebody get excited here because this is why you want to do this. It's because you want your kids to step up and say, dad, I saw it. I see a difference. What is, why do we do this, dad? Why do we go here? It's not just because we're playing religion. I am so tired of religion. I'm so tired of playing the game. I'm so tired of people coming in and thinking it's just for fun. It's just one hour a week. It's not what we're doing. You want your kids to say, Dad, why do you get up? Why is it so important for you to read your Bible? Dad, why do you actually rearrange all the finances in our home? Why do you give so much away? Why do you give so much to people who you've never seen, you've never met? Why do you pay for people's meals? Why do you give to the church? What is it? And you can say, son, God has radically shaped my life. God has totally changed me. And it's because God has got a hold of me. It's not because of religion or tradition. It's because God has done something in me. And I can't help but say I love him. I can't help but say, God, here I am. It's all yours. That's why you do this. You don't do it just because you have to or because you're told to. Because you want your sons and your daughters to say, this is real. See, for too long, we've had people who have come to church and put in their time. And then all during the week, they never talk about God. They never do anything for God. They never actually show that it's actually making a difference in their life. They don't apologize to their kids when they've lost their temper and say, honey, dad does, God doesn't want daddy to act like this, and I'm sorry. And so you want to know why? The 20-somethings are ready for something real and authentic is because they're tired of seeing dad and mom playing religion. You want to know why the 50-somethings are saying, it's time for something fresh and something new. You want to know what teenagers are looking for? They're looking for something that's real and that's going to move you, and it's not just something that you do for one hour a week. It's time. It's time for it to be more, and it's time for it to be something about loving God with all your heart, soul, and mind. The basics.